So the scene is Ramsey on the Isle of Man. It's the Northern Athletics Championships. Now the scene is set and uh, looks like Axel Kenyuk there, the five-year-old is closing in fast. Oh, across the line in the 75 meter dash. That is too close to call. The commissaires are gonna be looking at that, Pete. And uh, has the result come out? He won. Your son literally just won the 75 meter dash. Axel's really good, isn't he? He's an artist and he's an athlete. So proud. Yeah. And it's part of the like, uh, championships that's on. It, I think there's six events. Um, it's, it's a weekly, sorry. It's a weekly competition with different events. So one of them is the Howler, which is effectively a nerf. You know the nerf oh, that you throw? Yeah, yeah. So they have to throw that. And then there's, um, yeah, there's been 200 metres, 75 metres. A couple of weeks ago, he stopped before the line, which he thought was the finish. Oh, did he? Destroyed him. That's like that's like celebrating a with a, a, a schoolboy error. Oh no, that's <laughs> yeah. so painful. Well, he's bounced back. Hasn't yeah, he? he's so competitive, and that's a significant win, that isn't it? Seventy-five. A slight yeah. different sort of pod there, there, don't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so should we go back into? Can we do race commentary now? Back now? to the race. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. this is my favourite part of the pod. All right. Dylan Grunewagen is trying to get in the breakaway. That was surprising. Looked at him, didn't recognize him. What's a big old sprinter doing? Trying to get in the move. The breakaway. Oh, look, there's Quinn Simmons and there's Maz Pedersen. And each time they attack, there's one or two riders from Trek Segafredo, Julia Ciccone and Tom Scunch, who's not been in a breakaway yet. And they're trying to get in a breakaway. But it's really, really hard to get in the move today. Wavenart hasn't appeared yet, but we're quite close to the intermediate sprint of the day. And here comes Wavenart. And now Wavenart moves. Uh, up the line and he actually what what's going on there or was that yesterday when did Niels Akoff take uh, points off him was that today or yesterday I literally can't remember can anyone no uh, no okay was it? yes I can't remember I can't remember that either way, that either way. That was that was today. Yeah, it was today. That was yeah. today. And today, Wout van Aert has won the green jersey, assuming that he gets to Paris. But then he goes back, and it's all a bit ooh, in the GC race. But we're approaching the long, long run into the Col d'Aspin, where you come up the valley road, and eventually it's almost a hairpin bend, and we turn up right to the Col d'Aspin. We'll come back to that later in the pod, because that featured in our day today. Anyway, back to the race. <laughs> <laughs> back to the race. Up the Col d'Espan they go, up the Col d'Espan they go. Can't remember, really remember what happened on the Col d'Espan. Not Nothing much in particular, except for the fact that Simon Geschke picked up loads more points in the King of the Mountains competition because he's really, really good at the King of the Mountains competition. I think he's going to win it if he carries on like this because the opportunities, well, there's really only tomorrow for anyone to eat into his advantage and he's pretty much home and hosed. Uh, so well done, Simon Geschke. Then on to the next climb, which was the Katsu climb of the day, which was the... Hortet. Exactly that. Um, it was a, it was an interesting climb, <laughs> up up a little bit, down a little bit, up a little bit, but then the descent, <laughs> super technical, and over they go. And at this point, uh, there's a breakaway group that's beginning to disintegrate on that climb, and. At this point, there is a GC race that is starting to disintegrate under pressure of, from Mikael Bier, who is the only other rider, apart from Tadej Pogacar on UAE Team Emirates, who is allowed to have a hair tuft. 
He's got major hair tuft action going on, and he was immense today. He shredded it. Then over the top of that climb and down to the next climb of the day, and um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head because we're in a car, and I'm not going to look at notes as we pass through winding roads. On to the next Cat 1 climb of the day. Mikael Bier then takes it up. They're closing the gap all the while to the breakaway. One by one, the breakaway is falling apart. There's Bardet up the road. There's Pino up the road. There's a team, um, not Team and I kept calling him Team Andreas Lechnersund is up the road from DSM. All good riders, but they're going to be caught because the GC race is brewing up nicely. And UAE Team Emirates are shredding it. First one, Mikael Bier, who takes it onto the next climb of the day. And when he's done, Brandon McNulty takes it up. McNulty setting a pace on the climb, setting a place on the climb. And one by one, they're all dropping off. All of a sudden, whoop, there goes Nairo Quintana. There goes Louis Mankies. There goes Enric Mas. There goes... There goes everybody. Everybody, pretty much. Over the top of that climb, McNulty's still on top. Uh, on the front. How much further is he going to take it down? On the, or was Pogaccia going to attack over the top of that climb? Well, he had a little bit of a go, but Fingergaard was straight on him. Teaser. Those three riders then, just McNulty, Pogaccia and Fingergaard, on the descent. Down they go. McNulty taking a few risks and taking time on Thomas, who's been gapped. Already Adam Yates and Tom Pidcock are off the back. Thomas is in a little group of his own. Eventually, he'll get together with uh, Roman Bardet, but they make no impact on Brandon McNulty. Takes it on to the final climb of the day, the Père Rigoud, an eight-kilometre climb. How far is McNulty going to go on this climb? Maybe four, five hundred metres, maybe a kilometre at best, maybe 1.5k, maybe two kilometres. No. Brandon McNulty takes it how far onto the climb? I don't know. You, you finished, that. You're wrapping it up. It's great. Commentary. Keep going. Brilliant. 400 metres? Yeah, uh, at least. yeah, he took it to literally the runway. Go and on. he took it to the runway. He Mc took it to the runway. McNulty peels off, and there's Pogacar. Pogacar attacks, and he's making it look really hard, and all of a sudden he makes it look really, really hard. Oh! Pogacar's blown a gasket. He sits back down, and there, suddenly, Vingegaard sees this moment of, sees this moment of weakness in Pogacar and attacks Vingegaard on these brutal final slopes of the final 200 metres of the climb. Vingegaard goes, and Pogaccia was just playing with him all the time, and he gets on his wheel, and Pogaccia then sits on his wheel, and with 100 metres to go, Pogaccia draws level with him on these really steep slopes and takes the win and takes a 10-second time bonus and four seconds on the general classification. And that's your podcast, and I'm Pete Kenyon. <laughs> <laughs> We've been working on catchphrase for you, haven't yeah. we? <laughs> because we, I mean, we never forget, Ned, <clears throat> And as you just did in the first few minutes there of this podcast, you are uh, a world-class broadcaster. Oh, so you can well, car class anyway. Well, in this car, where it's an exceptional car, um, it's a Ford in, Galaxy. In, in, day. In, yes, but anyway, yeah. but I think that the the point is, Pete's. You've helped me when I started, and 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 Pete's. You stuff you've taught me. I've tried to share with Pete. Uh, but then occasionally you come in with nuggets, and you come in with a great one for Pete uh, yesterday. <laughs> regards his little segment it's he does on the show. It's an ongoing. So, <laughs> I mean, I think regular listeners of this podcast will already understand that Pete Kenyuk is an incredibly thoughtful bloke, and he likes to consider how he goes about presenting himself to the world and how <laughs> to approach his work, which is entirely, genuinely, entirely appropriate. And this year, Pete's been sent out to do these little reconnaissance pieces in the last kilometre or so of each stage, well, not not each stage, but several stages, with, a, with, with one of those amazing 360-degree cameras, Pete, which mm. are sort of magic. Have you figured out how they work yet? Uh, just about. But it's, it's an ongoing relationship with the camera. Uh, <laughs> and the hard part about the job, if we're going to cut straight to the chase, is the fact that it's on a bike. So if you're doing, um, you know, a take to camera, mm -hmm. and you can do 10 takes, 
mm-hmm. until you get what you perceive as the best one. Yeah. On the bike, I'm actually physically not fit enough to re go and do <laughs> the final climb <laughs> over and over again. So come back to the truck. How is it? Yeah, yeah. Take the the fifth take uh, is the good one. Um, and I was like, ah. Oh, Oh, God, for God's sake, I forgot to say something. And and, and then Joe, who's the, the sound engineer. He does a brilliant amazing, job. He's amazing, yeah. Joe. And he'd be yeah. like, is it important? I'd be like, well, to be honest, I mean, Ned and David are probably going to cover it in the show anyway, so it'll do. It'll do. And it, it'll never just do, but it's it's always, yeah, it's good enough for me. So I hope it's good enough for everyone else. But it's Pete, an ongoing, evolving Pete, process. Pete, you're not a just-do kind of guy. No. Let's be honest about no. that. But I think what... We're going back to, uh, and it's got legs. This segment. Oh, it could be. And and iconic. Ned was like, "Well, <laughs> you you need to own this, Pete." Yeah. Well, so I've had many pep talks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the the Channel Four Stroke ITV, as we you know, it's all the same production team going right back to 1986. Basically, it has gone through various phases, and certain strands have become iconic. We spoke <laughs> earlier in this podcast series about the um, the rider idents, didn't we? You're watching, mm. you know. Mesdames et Messieurs, je m'appelle Laurent Jalibert. Vous regardez le Tour de France sur ITV2. And all that sort of thing that you, you remember watching Peter as a yeah. kid. Now, you are, you have in your grasp now the potential to build a strand that will be, this is what I need to be talking about in 20 yeah. years' time. So, you know, Chris Borman in the past has done these funny little segments with me where he's made a fool out of me sort of routinely. Um, we moved on from that and then Chris Borman went to do, recon- he always used to do the reconnaissance of the final kilometre. Now, that, that amazing honour, it's a bit like a hereditary peerage has been handed on to you, Pete, and mm. you are Mr. 360, so with enhanced technology. <laughs> yeah. So you're literally doing I all in your... I can't You're a human. I need to. Newer human. I, know, I do. I know I yeah. need to. And you're I do. Human. And I do. With newer tech. Yeah. And with a newer voice. You're evolved. Yeah. You're next gen. You're next gen. So we were working so on... Yeah. So you have thought long and hard about how yeah. to do these things. And we just suggested last night, didn't we, David, that mm. what you need is a real kind of tagline that people yeah. can... You know, a thing that... The viewer will feel very comfortable connect and familiar to. with and yeah. connect to and they'll be waiting for this little moment mm-hmm. where it happens each each day, really. <laughs> and we were suggesting that you just finish every little reconnaissance piece. Hang on, hang on, Ned. I just got a video when you do it, so okay. he's got it. Okay. And then so that you finish every little segment of your 360 reconnaissance with... <laughs> Go on, see, it's hard in the okay, camera. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the camera's free, there. I'm under, the pressure. I'm, under, I'm under pressure now. Fans on okay. the side of the road watching. Okay, you finish it like this. That's your 360. I'm Pete Kenyuk. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do? Hey, yeah. what do you do when you're, you're going to mix uh, your pro curveball like two weeks in? Well, <laughs> there are variations, or rather, there is variation, a singular <laughs> variation. You could mix it up, and occasionally there's surprise the viewers by saying, I'm Pekenik and <laughs> that's your 360. <laughs> <laughs> the little chuckle. <laughs> so oh you, it's just like just acknowledging that yeah. you've mixed it up. Yeah. So you've, gone bit, you've gone a bit rogue. So I'm going to get in the mirror, I tell you, I'm going to perfect this. Yeah. Ned, that is so good. I <laughs> love it. Hey, listen, plenty to discuss today as we drop down out of the valley <laughs> towards our hotel tonight in Lourdes. The, uh, oh. Which Phil, <laughs> Phil, Phil Liggett once described Lourdes <laughs> oh no, I remember this. <laughs> In commentary. <laughs> As a Mecca for Catholics. 
<laughs> which I love Phil I love Phil to bits and I've come up with some utter nonsense probably today that people will pick me up on it's very very hard not to talk nonsense in commentary but Phil bless you that was brilliantly rubbish <laughs> um, so good come um, to that a mecca for Catholics he just made it up the, no, no, the, the rationale, so there is yeah, a rationale to it okay. because um like we talked about Santiago Compostela today because we're talking about St. Mary's Cathedral yeah. and pilgrimage. Even, even within the Christian church. My mum church. Dad did that pilgrimage. Yeah. yeah, so it's a pilgrimage. But what's uh, in, in Islam, uh, you have one place where you, you have to go to uh, in your life, and it's Mecca. And so that is a pilgrimage that every Muslim uh, aspires to doing once in their life. So it's got a really, it's, it's really powerful. So it... Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So it kind of makes sense. And well, Lord, <laughs> likewise, especially at this time of year, is absolutely full of yeah. um, uh, Catholic believers who, yeah. who go there. Many of them um, to feel spiritually renewed, and also sometimes in the mm. belief that they will be cured. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where we're heading tonight. Anyway, mm. it's got nothing mm. to do with it, really. Um, um, back to the race. Can we do that briefly, or are you just no. going to? No, no. No, we can't. Well, I'd can. like to know, Pete. What was your fam? What were your family doing? What was the? Oh, um, so they did the. Actually, where does it start? It's not from right, Lourdes. There's loads of points. No, it starts from area. It's the Everywhere. end point that is no, important. So Santiago de Compostela. But yeah, I mean, points, traditionally, yeah. it starts mm. from Lourdes. I think. No. I've read the, I've read the it, it Palo Cielo. So it even goes by our house in Girona. Exactly. That's the final stage. Palo yeah. Cielo is that? So it started. I mean, you know, I think it starts I, in France. I, All roads meet. No, no, it starts in Cambridge. If you want, does it, it start in Cambridge? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So it, yeah. You can start so it from Portugal, you uh, can start it from the east of Spain. So this Spain, is just the book I read, the pilgrimage yeah. by uh, okay. Paolo. One journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. one journey. You know. and then you, but the, you pick up these traditional centuries-old roots that eventually converge. Yeah. Um, and your parents did So that. my parents with their friends did it this year as one of my mum's challenges before she's 60. They didn't do the... It was more of a tourist as opposed to, you know, religion experience. Yeah. And, yeah, they walked around 20 to 30 kilometers every day for a week Ooh. i can't remember where they started and my mum came back enlightened enriched Good. all these amazing people everyone we spoke to was so interesting and kind and i was like good on you yeah so yeah so you know how to it's a bit like traveling around in this car a little bit yeah. so you know how to because whatever you'll see wherever you are in um the closer you get to santiago Compostela, obviously but we have it in our village in catalonia you'll find them here in uh, the southwest of France, if you see signs with a little scallop shell, that's the, the route. scallop shell ah, means it. you're on the Santiago Compostela, and it, can and it will take you. And all all of all those shell routes take you to Santiago Compostela. Uh, and the point is, you can only walk it, right? It's a, it's no, you can uh, do however you some like. Some people do it on bikes. Oh, yeah. okay. No, yeah. you can, it's it's whatever journey you want to it's take. It's your journey. So you could drive it, you could do it on a motorbike, but the, this most spiritual way difficult. has always been walking because it gives you the most time on your own to mm -hmm. contemplate your life. That's the pilgrimage. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to contemplate your existence. Mm. So the longer it takes, the more time you have. And I was actually reading this book uh, when I was doing the tour of Burgos, which is literally yeah. on the route. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, Crosses wow. Crosses the Basque country. Yeah. To this, is, this is a sign. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. It wasn't, but mm. that's what I thought. My last ever pro race, the Vuelta Espana, 
at the last kind of commercial pro- I did this as well uh, my last race was Santiago Compostela in t- uh, well, the Vuelta finished there that year well actually your in last 2014 um, oh yeah and then I did the Beck uh, Gaza's and race and you did the World with me and I did the World which was national but still it still had the jersey oh Wait, nice no the Beck was the last right like Beck was the last race but I just, my last professional team race was yeah. it was a time Vuelta. trial wasn't it into yeah and I was horrible I had my broken finger and it was raining yeah then at the Worlds with you guys, which was lovely, because that was yeah, a that lovely was sign That off. was in Pomferrada, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that the one where it rained heavily? And it yeah. rained there. And really these guys killed it. I remember you and Luke, I think, uh, going with five laps to go. And Swifty. Uh, and Swifty. Swifty was nice. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, history within history. Um, yeah. But the race today, I mean, honestly, Ned, with that roundup you did at the start, well, I think what we covered sh- everything. We covered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, of course we didn't. We can dig in, can't we? It's so hard to remember. I can't even... Who won yesterday's stage, David? Uh, Foie? Foie. Oh, you caught me off. We, you did this to me this morning as well. It's, uh, so oh, but yeah. it's so interesting yeah. how Hugo. hard it becomes. Hugo Ull. Ull. Hugo Ull. It's so hard. Michael Woods was third. Yeah. It becomes so difficult. It's blurred. Blur, the lines are blurred everywhere. And then but your yeah. window of memory just shrinks. Yeah. Like that. It's because you're so focused on the day as it what is it, I don't know what it is it and is then deep fatigue yeah, mental fatigue and that as well yeah what was really interesting about today um, was the day started and there was this vibe that Teddy Pogaccio was he looked uh, sad he kind of looked a well little bit contemplated and, but Pete said on the set before I got a gut feeling something's going to happen today and it did Pete it, the tables were turned and the fact that Jumbo Visma fell to pieces and it was incredible. And the two riders in it, sometimes you see that with the team, it was just left to the three riders that he had left. Hershey was dropped early. We're talking about Pogacar and UAE. Mm. Um, but then Mikkel Björg lit it up with three climbs to go and did the whole climb. It was insane. It was insane. He had like 18, 20 yeah. riders left with him at the top. I think even Garrett Thomas yeah. said, I uh, don't know what he had for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's only... Only so much you can have for breakfast. Probably yeah. porridge or wheat a bit. Well, hang on. He's that's a bit of a provocative comment from uh, Well, Grind. that's what I thought. Yeah. But maybe it? he meant it in, in a jesting way. I think yeah. so. He yeah. t- he's a rider who tends to and avoid controversy, he, I yeah. think. And also, um, w- he was talking about McNulty, actually. Yeah. Not no, Mikkel Berg. And okay. he actually is a really good climber. Yeah. So you know, that's where he signed him. If yeah. we go back to why... when If we go back two and a half weeks... Before the race started, we were looking down the the team list and said, "UAE have the strongest team here." We, we did, but but the but the really strong riders who we thought would show themselves to be you know enormously valuable mm. didn't actually, for one reason or another, didn't deliver, did they? No. So George Bennett mm-hmm. was sick, and apparently, from what we understand from talking to Dan um, uh, Martin today, who's left us now um, on the team, George Bennett is really quite ill with COVID. He's not, you know, it's it's. Uh, yeah, it's not to be hmm. taken lightly. But anyway, so yeah. but, but Rafa. Yeah. But, but the big news at the start line today was that Rafa Mica was yeah, the start, was, and it happened like half an hour and, before the start. And that's not a sickness thing. That's no. simply that's simply the old chain broken. snapping. Oh mate, I yeah. remember the first time I ever ch- snapped a chain. Oh, that was cycling back from commentating with you on the Vuelta from yeah. Ealing. I was cycling back around the massive roundabout in Shepherd's Bush, pushing powers you've never touched I, before. But well, I mean powers yeah. that I only I can you know yeah, really develop really develop under um, extreme circumstances, and also with a really shoddy chain that mm. I hadn't changed for years and I went Kang! but I hadn't realised what happens once you do that in my case basically you just um, fall with your gen- uh, genitals yeah. quite 
quite you basically smash your genitals against mm-hmm. the um the top tube don't mm-hmm. you or you rip your muscle because I think where he was on that super steep climb which had it was at 15 percent or so when when it happened to rafa micah yeah not you um <laughs> he was out the saddle and yeah. putting out pretty much maximum power in a fatigue state yeah so it just went from maximum power to zero and just hits the bottom and clearly the muscles just pulled off yeah and yeah so it was today started like well it's all over yeah Yumba Visma have this wrapped up yeah. considering how Sepp Chris rode yesterday how Wout Van Aert is but the race helped it because of this format in these later mountain stages where they're putting flat for 50Ks or so before the mountain. And tomorrow is quite similar. It's similar. Mm. But slightly it amplified in terms of the climbs that they've got to do, but very, very similar sort of approach from, yeah. you know, yesterday started you know what, at, today started at San Gordon. Tomorrow s- starts from Lourdes. Sorry, it's not yeah. the chain going uphill. It was Rafa Micah, wasn't it? Ah, uh, the way well, he rides. You know, know Rafa talking Micah, it. don't you? So why do you, it's why always do you say that? It? Because it's, it's low, low talk, yeah. like 50 to probably 70 revs per minute, constantly out of the saddle. Mm. That's going to put tension on the chain, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, high talk. Sorry, low high talk in terms of it's yeah, high, high, high talk, high talk, sorry. high talk, low, high cadence. low cadence, yeah, low cadence, yeah. yeah. big power, um, right? and always I twisting the bike, always out the saddle, always twisting. So and like if you compare stress. that to, you know, Pogaccia, for ex- and I picked on this because David said it just before I went into commentary, mm. and I was like, it's probably not the reason, but it's definitely not going to help it. No, yeah, uh, but yeah, but th- so then what was amazing? Just going back to that flat bit. The, there's a full-on bike race going on. There's yeah. no, there's no pauses. You don't, like, you're not allowed to regroup. And one thing we perhaps sometimes take for granted is we're always looking at the leaders and we're looking at exceptional teammates. But the reason they're exceptional teammates is that they don't have the amazing recovery skills of the leaders. Yeah. So they can do amazing rides occasionally, but they're going to need a, a day or two days to recover to do it again. We see it with Sepp Kurs in particular. And Wout van Aert's a complete outlier, so we can't really do that. But even he was a bit tired today. But so what we saw today was those UAE riders who have been quiet suddenly kind of maybe because of that quietness and the race situation and do or die, this is it, were able to pull themselves back. But what Jumbo Visma have been doing regularly and especially yesterday, they're not all Vingago. They're tired. They couldn't do it. And the race then allowed it for this really random thing to to appear where you got the very best of Mikkel Bjerg we've ever seen the very best of Brandon McNulty we've ever seen but they're not bad bike riders Mm. that's what they're paid to do Mm. and they just did the rides of their life today in Mm. exceptional circumstances and meanwhile Hershey's still dropped Mm. and the whole and those McNulty and um Björk have been off the back most of the race. With this theory, which I very much believe in, because I was very yeah. similar as a yeah. bike rider, it'll be very. It, I'm going to say very for the fourth time within thirty mm. second sentence. It'll be interesting to see what <laughs> they do. <laughs> they might be very, very, very. It'll be interesting to see what they do tomorrow. They probably gimp tomorrow. Well, exactly. And then maybe the the other will prove your theory completely but right. Yeah. Hasn't that been the story of the tour? I think yeah. I alluded to this yeah. in commentary. The two, the two. The two in the top two, right? Yeah. Pog and Ving, they have been so evenly matched, and the only yeah. reason that Pog is you know down is that one weekday actually, and Ving mm. showed no weakness, been absolutely impregnable. 
But other than that, they've been totally ma- the match mm-hmm. of one another. But the real intrigue, in some ways, has become has become this flip flopping narrative between the of teams. The teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's almost more interesting. Boo! You've lost two. Boo! Yeah. You've lost two. Now we're on top. Now you're on top. Now we're on top. Now and you're on top. Yeah. And it's just really hard to call. And with it all, it doesn't really change an awful lot. And you know what's also because ultimately it it, it it reduces down like a stock, yeah. Yeah. bubbling away in a pot to these two. I'm mm. going to reinforce my theory here. So there's one team that has been. And I say with respect, robotic as Ineos Grenadiers. Yeah, they've always been present. They've got a full complement, and so they've been there all the time, racing well. And they fell apart today. But where Completely does it get you ultimately apart. if you haven't yeah. got the the? Yeah, I mean, so they haven't they haven't had off days, which really. isn't which isn't yeah. you know to, to remotely disrespect Geraint Thomas. Geraint's amazing. No he's been consistent. You know, he's super he's consistent. nailed down third yeah. place. Now, I cannot see how he's denied yeah. third place. No, no. absolutely not. And also with everything that Ineos Grenadiers have to throw at the Tour de France, mm. what? I find amazing and what makes me really happy is that he still comes out on top. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When they rip up the rule book or whatever they call it and we're going to start afresh and yeah, they do, they have all this amazing talent coming through the classics, Thomas Pidcock and the other, the other riders. Van Bala winning Roubaix. It's just, you know, it's just incredible that you come to the Tour de France and with all that that's gone on, said Mm. and done and G's just still Mm. there. Yeah, He's so they're, they're, they're riding a great race, and to have kind of the what they've done and, and G secure third place, such a curious position yeah. is in, isn't it, in this race? Because in as much as um, Ving and Pog are in mm. on a different level altogether from yeah. the rest of the race, G is in this little isolated pocket. He He's really so is so much better. Yeah. than this. <laughs> yeah. The rest like of the race, fourth, fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh. Everyone else in GC is they're yeah. all a bit. And Ned, I think what you said in commentary today at the end, towards the end, is amazing because. It was along the lines of he. It was to do with the generations, like he. I think David connect or David connects the generations. He does actually. Yeah, he's bridged. He's bridged. Bridge. Well, more than that. I mean, he was at the Tour de France in two thousand and seven. He was the youngest rider in the race. He was, and through that, he's He's led out. He's he's done his. He's got gone into the classics. Mm. He's won the Tour de France. He's finished. What was he when Bernal won second? Yeah, second in the Tour de France. He's still there now. Yeah. And you can't overlook that in terms nah. of how long he's been in the sport he and what he's still what he's still doing because who else is doing that right now? He's consummate pro. And everything yeah. that I'd heard earlier on this year from within the Ineos camp and people who are quite well placed. In fact, no, I won't say who told me that, but yeah, quite well sourced and, and well founded opinion was that Geraint Thomas has been had been earlier on this season in the early spring a revelation because he had this was the, this was the narrative he had adjusted to his new status as this kind of super important mm-hmm. massive figure who was now going to guide the next generation yeah. through to there and yet he just ends up uh, David I remember when when he won the Tour de France four years ago mm. you came up with this great thing about you know uh, they just made him too fast they yeah. took they took Geraint Thomas. They just yeah. made him too fast. It felt like, that and he and ended up being too fast. And, and he, he crashed still a lot. Too, he's, yeah. he's still too fast. Had to learn. Yeah. And now, it, now it genuinely seems in this maturity, like Pete says, uh, at the age he's at, the position of his career. And I always find this to be the, the greatest irony for champions like Geraint Thomas, is that he's finally mastered it all. Yeah. But it's he's in the twilight, because if he could race with. There's not been one close call for Geraint. You know, he's be, he's raced so well. Mm-hmm. He's on top of his psychological game. His uh, everything about him psychologically and tactically is perfect. But he's 
not the best he's ever been, but he might be. The problem is, this is the, the generational kind of uh, flux. There are now two riders who are better than anybody we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Mm, potentially. So yeah. it's yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. actually at the peak now. He's better than he's ever been in his yeah, whole that's career. That's such a good point. And now there's two so riders. Like 20, 20, yeah. Yeah. As a whole, absolutely, yeah. but physically, maybe not. But no. even with that, like you say, David, mm. but that's such a good point. Yeah. Because everything he's done around this whole race has been perfect. Perfect. He's no crashes. Yeah. yeah. No tactical errors. Yeah. Never missed a beat. Yeah. And that's almost the hardest part of the tour. You can arrive, like we've seen how many years, with the best physical mm. form. Yeah. Mm. And you can, you know, mess up or make mm. mistakes. and yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, we're talking nonetheless. about the rider who's going to finish third. And yeah. The front. Yeah. So we, should, we should, you know, I think we should pay enormous respect to Jonas Vingegaard because... Yeah. Uh, he almost gets yeah. overlooked, doesn't he, at a certain point? The best do, because they're Miguel Indrain, when he was just dominating everything, it was becomes resentful. But he's a, he's very much in the personality, the racing personality of Miguel Indrain, than Pogacar. Pogacar is this just this weapon. Yeah. He's this, the he's the rider that normally come along and do it one year and it's explosive. But he's he's this whole newer, newer human. But. Po- Vingegaard is riding like a Miguel Indrain or uh, the great champions, multiple Tour de France winners, in just a serenity, kind of how he's doing it. So, um, so that's the race, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. just got one more throw of the dice, hasn't he? Tomorrow, he's going to have to, and he's going to do it. He's going to try if he's got the yeah, legs. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll have to has to try it. He has to try it. Um, it's not going to happen, though. No, I don't think it'll happen. So we, we had um, Dan Martin with us. That was great. We had crosswinds. Yeah. Oh, no, no, we know Pete, we owe Pete and Canada uh, an apology, don't we, David? Firstly, because... I think it's really important. I think one of the things that we often do, Pete, and with absolute sincerity, you'll say things and sometimes Ned and I will question them when actually what you said is absolutely right. Like I know. where the car is or... Yes, just even little things. Yeah, not all the time. Not all, no, because... I'm, I'm quite often wrong as well. Let's, let's yeah, but we but all are. Yeah. But um, can you think of an actual time, David? Don't you think there's with Pete there's this perception that he's quite often wrong? Whereas actually, if you look at the evidence base, yeah. there aren't that many times in the which the paper he's trail's been wrong. pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can Honest, you think of a time when well, you've been wrong, Pete? No, but in terms of what we're talking about, I'm. I don't say anything unless I'm really 100% sure. Of what? Because mm. it's not worth it. And you have so this references so the night's car podcast. as well. Also on the exit strategy mm. yeah. the other day. Oh yeah, where yeah. I was. Yeah, it's down here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like, and I, turned I, right. yeah. Oh, the I wouldn't say it. I would. Yeah. I just wouldn't mm. say it. So, no, so I think so, yeah. what Ned's about to do is, is I follow you guys because you've been on the yeah. tour for so many years mm. and yeah. hundreds, it's a natural thing yeah. to do. But hundreds. Sometimes I just. Yeah. Mm. So I think what Ned's about to do is offer a formal apology to Pete Kenyuk <coughs> and the and Canada. Um, on behalf of Neverstray's Car, the number one ranking sports podcast in the UK iTunes charts, I would like to apologise to the independent nation of Canada uh, for David Miller and my flagrant disregard of its geography and history and our negation of an entire city. Um, which exists, and not only does it exist, it exists in beautiful form as well. I've now uh, been informed by the power of Google Images that Quebec City is picture perfect, a bit fake, but picture perfect. Like a film set. Like a film set. 
yeah. in the sense that North America has, as I think you said last night or today at some point, David, uh, tried to take a little whiff of Europe and transplant itself into uh, North America. Well, it's lovely. I love but it. But absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and beautiful. Um, not only that, but we would like to continue our apology by um, by, by reiterating the truth that, that both the races we talked about yesterday, the GP Montreal and the GP Quebec, will be held this year in September. And if you go online, you can find the dates um, of those races. The notion that the somehow Quebec race was also held in Montreal <laughs> is entirely false. Um, Pete? Uh, in it, uh, we would like to apologise to you fulsomely for that. Thank you. I'm Thank sorry, you. Pete, and I'm we're sorry, we're Canada. Sorry. On that note, let's pick the podcast back up a yeah. notch or two with energy. <laughs> yeah, okay. And let's and go back to... Oh, well, what happened to our wo- on our way to work this morning? Because we haven't touched on that, have oh, we? Oh, my <laughs> golly gosh. <laughs> well, we go. You might have to get a bit of content from the driver here I at will. this point, David. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gaz, have you got a view on this? No. <laughs> we were staying takes pride in his job don't he guys we were staying in the military town of Tarbes which is a, a stop off point on the Tour de France for as long as I've known it we always stay in Tarbes in the wonderful Hotel de la Marne where we um, we know the Madame Monsieur extremely well who um, and we always go to the same the same restaurant over the road and we had a lovely dinner there last night came back David was going to drive in with Crosswinds Dan weren't you a little I bit was, later yeah. David because he had a bit yeah. of work to do Pete who had his 360 I'm Pete Kenyuk bit of video to do a lot of pressure yeah and he was expecting the script was written the script was written golden eye go. James Bond so going to get there airstrip. two and a half hours before on air comfortable and all that sort of thing we were on air at one o'clock today or, or thereabouts we left at nine o'clock <laughs> in the morning for <laughs> a, a one hour transfer yeah one hour fifteen max one hour 15 max, something like that. And um, it was a fairly straight journey up the valley, essentially, and no need to go over any big coals or anything. No. Out of the blue. Especially ones we've been over before. Especially, uh, well, uh, we had multiple sat-navs on. You and me, Peter, in the back, mm-hmm. thinking about our scripts and our various re- bits of research. Yep. Gaz concentrating on doing the directions with his two different sat-nav devices. Mm-hmm. But he's a bit analogue, his Gaz from time to time yeah. and he's a bike race guy isn't he he's and he's old school more and he's old school so he looks he writes up. things down he <laughs> talks about the D191 <laughs> which if anyone has used um, Google Maps will have no idea where the hell it is because you just put the the, the postcode in and then you listen to where it takes you well, not Gaz because he's old school, but that's what we love about Gaz. Yeah, he likes numbers. He likes to, he he he, he likes all that. So Gaz has got the microphone now. We've just pulled over for a, a, a comfort break for the Mayojon, <laughs> David Miller. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then what happens? So then all of a sudden, a bunch of signs appear on mm-hmm. the road. Gaz, what happens then? You see a bunch of signs, it's peeling off to the right, right? Yeah, absolutely, and. Um there was a couple of gendarmes there that didn't wave their arms at us for going the wrong way. They were talking to some cyclists, so we went up that road. And all of a sudden, we were on this thinking... As uh, we were writing our scripts in the back. And we were writing scripts so going, oh, 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 this must be the final climb. Yeah. We're on the Perigude. We, we'll be there in about 10 minutes. Big race into the bottom of here. Absolutely fine, yeah. yeah. And then we realised, it's the, oh, this is the Col d'Espin. Yeah. Huh? yeah. So I did it, I did it in the 2011 um, Route de Sword, and again in the 2015... Tour de France, and I was like, "This is, this is not the final climb." No, it's the and the and the penny dropped. Yeah, and so then it, we're like, I was like, "Guys, how long's left on the sat nav?" <laughs> and he was like, oh, "It says uh, it says uh, one hour, hour and fifteen. Oh, hour, hour, hour fifteen, mate." <laughs> 
And I was like, well, wasn't that what we had when we left the hotel? <laughs> the further up the climb we go, the further the sat-nav oh, uh, prediction goes. And it's all of a sudden, it's 120, 125, mm-hmm. mate. And we're going the wrong direction. It's like, do we turn around now and go against the flow of the traffic? No, we're committed. So all of a sudden, we're on the race route. But on the race route, we're like four climbs to go and like 70 kilometers and all of a sudden we're going and now it's getting really congested with cycling and now we're right up against our on-air time but we're boxed into a corner and then we were starting to get delirious yeah (laughs) and you're like right uh, right i'll get on to matt matt rendell and and then you're like how good would it be if matt opened the show yeah took gary and black's um spot welcome (laughs) <laughs> and then Gary Imlach was the lead commentator. Yeah, just flip it around because <laughs> there's, there's uh, two members of the staff, are, and who knows whether David and Dan are going to get there. Could have been the Gary and Gary and Matt show for the first hour because yeah. we're all scattered over the mountains. That's the run into the show. A total chaos. Would have been great. All these crazy things were going through our head. We got there in the end, but thanks, guys. Anyway, mm. so. Um, but I tell you, one thing that I think maybe also contributed to this was uh, Crosswind Dan's insane confidence. He's got a lot of confidence. confidence yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. but no, no. If, just you, if you stuck, it was, it was it for you guys much more. Than it was an hour and a half for us. Right, Fifteen minutes out. But yeah. yeah, yeah. We just missed the road. But he just has confidence. Road, Do you not think that? So we've had like two guest pundits, haven't we, on the ITV mm. team? And the one thing that they've all got in common is supreme confidence. Yeah, mm. I think. Dignan, yeah, that's true. Dignan and Crosswinds. You know you, 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 but do you, you think they're just normal human beings? And no, actually, they don't, they don't have three, imposter syndrome. And us three just suffer from a terrible I, kind of I, it, It's because they're just still talent. Dan yeah. Crosswinds, Dan hasn't left the sport in a way that what am I going to do now? Is this really who I am? Yeah, He's he, got hasn't the, he has that air of yet. confidence that you know, I'm here. This is about me. Yeah. Lizzie's still a cyclist. She yeah. still has the talent confidence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Crossman's Dan was like really. He was great. He's got a lot of knowledge. He yeah. loved. He loved the the lunch that the. Um, Did uh, he? France Television. France Television put on. Yeah. Uh, mm. And he's discussing with Ned actually, wasn't he? <laughs> 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 I can see where so, this is going. So, yeah. And so <laughs> one of the things that uh, Ned Ned forgot. Oh no. It was as if um, when we had dinner last night that David that Crosswind David. was just another pro cyclist. And yeah, like a very good pro cyclist, yeah. like Palmares to kill anyone. Oh, and then also, should we just give the listeners who maybe need a bit of. <laughs> understanding of how like funny this is in terms of the language yeah well first of all I think we've just <laughs> got to figure out how it started because we were yeah. having dinner it was lovely last and night in time and, and Ned uh, pouring with rain a massive great pouring with rain. Oh, yeah. that was amazing yeah. and we'd been talking for ages lovely conversation we're all British yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Dan, no, Dan Martin's Irish. He's Irish. I'm Irish too. You're Irish. So the, you're Irish, and you're yeah. speaking to another Irishman. Yeah. And you just In looked. France. You yeah. just looked across, and what did you say? <laughs> I wanted to just talk to him, but so I said, <laughs> I, "What did I say?" You I said, said "Have you had? Have you? Did you eat at the 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 lunch or the buffet provided?" And he said, "Yeah." And then you went on to say, it's "What good, was eh? it word for word?" It's, it's good, good, eh? eh? It's good, 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 eh? Now why, I, now, why is that funny? And me and David just ostensibly funny, me and David just looked at each other like in the eye, yeah, and yeah. like, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything. No, no, no. But a fraction of a second later, I looked David in the eye, and I knew I was, <laughs> I knew I'd been rumbled. Because what I'd done, what I'd done was I'd started to talk cycling speak, yeah, right? the universal which, language, which you later brilliantly identified as the universal language. <laughs> so it's what English people do in cycling, where so they just go, go on, explain what it, it is. So that if you're on a training camp and it, you know, you're on a team with 
it's a <laughs> different cultures and languages and the, the classic talk in January will be oh um, what have you got this year eh? and then um, Italian or Colombian rider will go normally uh, <laughs> normally <laughs> I do the Giro yeah. and then after I don't know eh? yeah it's normal could eh? be anything it's normal eh? And then, but it's more it's more coming on a Belgium team, isn't it, David? I'd probably say. Yeah. No, but, but you came up this great theory yeah. last night that actually there's a lot of Anglophone uh, riders, mm-hmm. Americans, Australians, and British riders who actually mm-hmm. can't speak any second language. Exactly. Go on, yeah. go on explain that. So, so Christian Van der Velde, um, who, <laughs> and I'll just use him as an example because he's this very so he's good. he's brilliant and he's a very well-read. He's an ex-teammate of mine, same age as mine. He didn't learn French. He speaks quite good Spanish, um, but he grew up in U.S. Postal, um, speaking English to people, but in a European accent, yeah. rather than learning the language. So, yeah. a lot of this universal language that Pete magnificently coined is generally Australians um, of late, uh, English, yeah. uh, Americans, Canadians. Instead of learning French, yeah, uh, or, uh, f- or or Dutch or Italian, Italian, they'll speak English in uh, in, universe, a way, in the, the universal, universal way, way. <laughs> the universal cycling way. And so Steve, you're good at this, yeah. So Steve Cummings um, speaks pretty good Italian, actually. I don't know if mm-hmm. Steve, but um, but he also speaks English like that, hey. So uh, so, and then we started elaborating it, the whole thing about you know kind of Dan. So uh, so uh, for the buffet, it's pretty good, huh? <laughs> So uh, there's yeah, no, yeah. no you, you find there plenty of uh, variety. It's not always just the pasta and the rice. Uh, there's other things also. <laughs> so you sometimes you get the bread. But some what's s- important with the bread, Ned, is oh, this to take the middle out of it. Bread, that bread thing that so blew my mind. I thought you were oh, joking. Yeah, if you're this a European so cyclist there with a uh, European culture you and you understand the baguette and what's involved in the baguette when eating it, it's very you important. have to take the middle bit out of the baguette eh? because when you see what the middle bit does, eh? <laughs> You'll never eat it again, eh? So you take it out to the baguette, you eat the crusty bit, eh? <laughs> you roll it up into a little ball uh, in the middle of your palm, eh? Like uh, you make a, a, a plasticine, eh? And uh, you put it on the table. And then if someone actually says to you, eh? What are you doing with the middle of the bread? You say, well, uh, have you got a glass of water, eh? You take the glass of water, you drop the bread in the water, the middle of the bread, not the crusty bread, eh? And then you see what it does to your stomach. And you say, would you be eating the middle of the bread, eh? Absolutely not, eh? And then you go, eh, that's why I do not eat the middle of the bread, eh? eh how many hours tomorrow? Mm, four? Five? That's mm, normal, eh? Maybe six, eh? Normal. <laughs> <laughs> and also the whole thing about, in, in the mountains, you avoid the prawns, eh? Yeah, it, um, a long way from the ocean, eh? Uh, you need to eat the local produce, eh? Yeah, always a steak, maybe should potatoes also. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. no, it was a lot of fun, and it it, it just but went the, on the and fact, on. The fact that I you slipped into I slipped universal into language, that, and I, but I, I honestly I acknowledged it, didn't I? I put my hands up, and right. even yeah. Lizzie was saying because this is her first like real commentary stint. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, me and Lizzie were talking about how there's a lot of pressure um, as a cyclist when you turn into commentary to uh, not, as a not, job yeah, to, to pronounce and to mm. be your vocabulary. Yeah, um, but even Lizzie said to me, she was like, actually. I said to Lizzie, I spend 90% of my time at home speaking to my kids who are, you know, the age of four, six, and 11, for example. And she then she then said, well, actually, you spend, as a cyclist, 
90% of your time speaking to foreign riders yeah. in a real simplistic way so yeah, they understand yeah. Yeah. and then all of a sudden you're thrown in this commentary <laughs> role and you're expected to be yeah. so articulate yeah. and have this <laughs> incredible vocabulary and yeah. you're just like you run out of words you know anyway we, r- we, ro- we ro- roared with laughter and we went oh, to bed it's so it pouring with rain and tarp and then um, we just all went to our rooms and then this uh, lit up on our whatsapp group <laughs> Pete Kenya I really was in yeah. in I just didn't I just did not see it coming and <laughs> it's just because with this what we just talked about in the, within the teams you just overlook it don't you David yeah, oh yeah and you don't even like question it and Ned just dropped this like it's good eh yeah. and I was like good, eh? I was like no <laughs> no, no he like, did not, not you you didn't do it <laughs> it's like you just became one of us right, so, so and it just so went on wait. and on so there's me you know like imitating the life of a pro cyclist <laughs> <laughs> you know instinctively <laughs> but then after the show today after the live show David you oh. and I stepped out the back of the truck super schlug you went schlug I did go super schlug you schlug. went super schlug did he? yeah because yeah. we, we were right next to yeah. the truck was right up next to the run out area now and mm. so we, by the time we stopped commentating we're getting little Groups, bits and pieces of riders coming <laughs> over, and we totally schlugged that, didn't it? But it was you perfect. were very excited. Well, I had my Polaroid, so I got a couple of shots, but I was being quite selective of who I shot. Yeah. And because, we, and I, Geraint Thomas, yeah. got him. That was quite exciting. We, no, we, we both shouted, Hello, Gar- G- Hi, Geraint! Hi, Yeah, he said hello, didn't he? But, but that was the thing, so I saw riders coming by all the time, and I, I kind of, some of them, like, saw Phil Gilbert, and both yeah, of us wanted to say, Phil! That Phil! Was so funny. And we were like, don't yeah. do we it, took don't do it. We both half a step forward, yeah. didn't we? We were just about to <laughs> yeah. try to slug him. Because we both know him, but yeah. it's like, you just can't, because they're no. tired. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I got Luis Leon Sanchez and Geraint Thomas, because I felt comfortable Polaroided them, Polaroiding well, them. I love the fact that you got Lewis Leon Sanchez. Is <laughs> yeah. it one rider you picked out of the peloton? Lewis Leon Sanchez. <laughs> I had a similar experience in a, in the same sort of way in terms of excitement as we descended the the well, was it the Perisord? Yeah, today on our Bromptons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a you know I wouldn't a small little bit of abuse from bus drivers. Yeah. EF Education e- Easy Post. I got abuse off a of mechanic and Alpecine you got Alpecine yeah. to Kearney. Yeah, literally. Off the bus driver. By the way, yeah, literally you got swore it. Get off mm. the road. What are you doing? On your bikes, yeah, yeah, working on the race on the Tour de France, yeah. but no, 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 you don't belong on the road. So, by the way, that exists as well. Yeah. So that exists, and also, it's quite for me. It was a, a little bit not demoralising. I don't know what the word is, but I remember we caught up with the Ineos bus, and I was banging on the window, and Claudio, yeah, um, my, who he was my our bus driver when I was there for years and years and years, and I was, and I don't know if it's part of our job that what we do that we have to be excitable. And have enthusiasm to deliver what we do. Yeah. So I rock up to this binocular window. He's going to be so excited to see me. And he's like, I beat. And I was like, Is that it? Uh, how are you? And I was like, Oh, how are it? you? Like, yeah. I was like, I'm really excited to see you. That I've just caught up with the Ineos bus, but maybe that's just us because we watch yeah. these guys on TV every day. But how they were getting a bit sluggy. How would you have know. been back in the day if you know some excitable recently retired pro had come up and tried to slug you? You would just dead. You would have deaded them, wouldn't you? I actually think so because I you've thought become about all this. showbiz and you're a bit bubbly now. I that's thought about problem. this and I yeah. thought actually, there's certain times when I would be like that, but with this situation, mm. I'd be really excited to see someone. 
I think you would be yeah. outside you're of the nice race. I think you're a nice person. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was a bit. Oh, maybe they're just. I, and then I said to David, "It's that part of the race, isn't it? Everyone's getting so mm. tired. Yeah. So yeah. fatigued." But I remember that because you were having. We'd come off that that moment you'd have had with the Alperson bus. And then, bless you, you were then super timid about overtaking buses. And you yeah, said, because you I wanted first. you to go first. Yeah, yeah, so I had to take the wrath. But um, it was then <laughs> we had a moment on our own. And I was being respectful of the gendarmes because I, I do have high respect for them. Because they do the whole day, that job. Yeah. And yeah. they're amazing. And then and so they finish. Yeah, uh, people in, like us are really annoying when they've been given yeah. orders and stuff. And, and then they yeah. finish and then they've got to escort yeah. all the race out. Yeah. So if they're there, I never overtake them, and we've got to like yeah. respect. And if they tell us to do something, just do it. Yeah, because they respect the race so much, and they're armed to the teeth as well. Also, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but then we had a bit of a bit of empty road. Pete and I come off the Perisord, we've dropped off, and you just looked at me and said, "David, I think everybody's tired." Yeah, <laughs> and I was, and I just looked at you and I said. What, just the racers? He's, and you were like, no, everyone, everybody, everyone's tired. Everyone's tired. Yeah. Because they're not matching the enthusiasm, your enthusiasm anymore. Yeah. 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 So we're in the final throws of Monopoly, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. We are. Yeah. Do you give in or yeah. do you play on? I remember my brother-in-law once put, it's either Monopoly or Scrabble, can't remember. But at this point in the game, he scooped up every uh, hotel and, and house on the board, <laughs> put mm. them in his mouth and spat them out. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> went, deal with that. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. That's yeah. a way of stopping the game. Isn't it? <laughs> Guys, can I just finish with, um, I wanted to get this into yesterday's pod, but we were so confused about Canada that it didn't really work. But um, I just wanted to tell you about an encounter I had in Montreal because it seemed relevant at the time. Yeah. I was sent by Channel 4 to cover the um, 2013 para, um, para Swimming World Championships. So that was a year after the wonderful Paralympic Games in 2012. And I'd worked for, I was so lucky, I'd worked for Channel 4 at the Paralympic Games in 2012. And then I went to cover the, present the coverage on Channel 4, the, 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 the swimming, uh, at the World Championships in Montreal. And it was a week of racing. It was unbelievable. I won't get into that. There were all sorts of astonishing um, stories there and performances. And it kind of was slightly life-changing, actually. And I was, I was actually there with Liam, who works with us. And on the final night of the tournament, um, I, we all, the entire swimming teams, all the media and the other, everything else, we all went to a massive Irish pub in Montreal for a, a, a kind of end of tournament bash. And they weren't prepared for what was about to hit them. So it was basically hundreds of uh, Paralympian swimmers with varying forms of uh, disability coming in, uh, partly in wheelchairs, partly in um, uh, partly walking, partly you know, all sorts of and bunch of us lot, and um, basically with one intention was to have a massive party, and it was absolutely boiling hot. It was in August, but towards the end of the evening, uh, I mean the evening itself was so extraordinary, I can't begin to describe it. But towards the end of the evening, just as I was about to walk back to my hotel, I walked out and I noticed that there was a swimmer whose biography I had been really interested in ever since London 2012, a, a Spanish swimmer who was at the time 56 years of age and still winning medals as a Paralympian swimmer, um, uh, called Sebastian Rodriguez. And I'd read up on his biography. He won medals in London, he'd won medals in Beijing, he'd won medals in Athens, and he'd started winning medals in Sydney as a much younger man, obviously, but by this time he's 56, 57. 
Sebastian Rodriguez was a convicted terrorist. He had been part of a uh, communist terrorist organization in Spain, uh, which had been responsible, and he'd been responsible and found guilty of assassinating a businessman in Seville in, uh, I forget which year, in the 1980s at some point. And he'd gone to prison, and he'd gone to prison for life. And at some point during his prison sentence, he had gone on hunger strike for months and months and months, and he'd been taken off into solitary confinement. And mysteriously, no one quite knows, the truth has never come out, but at some point, he lost the use of his legs. He became paraplegic. Um, his spinal cord had been fractured. And shortly thereafter, he was released by the Spanish state in a clemency sort of deal. And uh, he, you know, his, his prison sentence effectively was cut short. He was set free with these serious spinal injuries. So read into that what you will, right? Spanish prison service and uh, 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 someone goes in and comes out a paraplegic having gone on a hunger strike. Anyway, he <coughs> went, <coughs> once he was released, he adopted a, a different identity and then went to qualified for the, uh, <coughs> sorry, the Spanish Paralympic team and went to Sydney and started winning medals. I think he won a couple of gold medals in Sydney in swimming. Absolutely colossal upper body, really powerful swimmer um, in his particular class. I think it was the S5 class. And, um, it was only then, when he started winning medals, that uh, El Mundo in Madrid started actually investigating his case and finding out, trying to find out who he is. And um, they found out that he was this guy who had committed these crimes and served these sentences. And it, it became a really big story in Spain. Um, but he was never not allowed to compete. It was a kind of a matter of great national controversy. But anyway, I thought he had an amazing biography. And I kind of knew this backstory and there he was many 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 years later I mean 23 years later still winning stuff out in Montreal and on my way home I just stopped with him and he was sitting there in his wheelchair smoking a massive cigar um, with a beer in his hand and on my way out I said Sebastian Rodriguez and I don't speak Spanish David as you know mm. and um, he grinned at me and went see and I went I said I, I, I'm sorry I, I don't speak Spanish and I shook his hand but I just want to say hello <laughs> and I don't even know whether I feel comfortable saying that but all I was doing was acknowledge acknowledging uh, the presence of an extraordinary individual for better or worse and there you go that was my experience in Montreal mm. Pete Sebastian mm. Rogi Rodriguez Google him an incredible story yeah that is good can we just uh, so we'll just conclude with the race then Ned we're oh, not, okay. we not, yeah. we not impelled yeah. to yeah. judge judge him for his previous well, this is why I'm... I'm Being me knowing you, Ned. Yeah. And knowing how you are morally. He was, he was part of a plot. I don't think there's any doubt about that, that, um, that assassinated a man. So no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not, you know, in not any sense yeah, condo yeah. condoning that. But you would just... But I mean, I'm, I'm, I almost pick his story up from that moment onwards. And yeah, kind of, yeah. You know, it's mm. kind of... But it's incredible. Insane, you know, it comes back it? to, you know, mm. we've touched on this in the podcast. We've touched on this in the Tour de France. Sport doesn't exist in a bubble. It's not mm. something you can remove from the real mm. world. People, 
yourselves, both of you, your products of society, you know, you are, you interact, you touch with the way the world works and sport drives the world on and it's, um, is influenced by the world, the way the world is progressing. Mm -hmm. And Rodriguez's story is just incredibly, you know, mm -hmm. what we have to remember when we watch Vingegaard and Pogacar is these are human beings with yeah. human backstories. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's probably, if I had a point at all, <laughs> that's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's insane. Yeah. Um, so I was just going to go just to conclude um, Fabio Jakobsen Fabio Jakobsen's one we can conclude with that because he was the last man across the finish line but the way Paul Gatcher okay McNulty did a ride that is bonkers yeah. and we'll have to dig deeper into that and see how he is tomorrow um, because it was ex truly exceptional and I'm not casting any doubt on it it's just so mad and anomalous to this point in the race but I pointed out to Dan yeah. and I, I, I said isn't it interesting that he's never been given that role on yes, a climb? Yes, and that's what we that, said in commentary. Yeah, I said yeah. it's never been given that role, and he was signed up for a reason. And but to do the first couple of kilometres, yeah. then hand over to Soler and Bennett. Yeah, he ripped. Cetera. I mean, he was basically a GC, a GC contender. The Incredible. way he was riding. But I've always thought he should be a GC contender. Well, himself. he he can be now. He's just doubled his. If he backs this up a few times, then he's that's given the, the team around him. Then all of a sudden, he leaves the team and he becomes a GC contender. If he backs it up. Yeah, if he if backs, he backs it, it up. Uh, which I'll be surprised if he can tomorrow after that because uh, that and was then nuts. Also to wrap the pod up with the final person who crossed the line quickly because i seen it, Fabio Jakobsen. Yeah. I know you just touched on it then but it was a countdown to yeah. being outside the time limit and the last 500 metres for him, it took him almost a minute maybe. Mm. Even it took to longer do. than that. It would uh, take yeah, longer. Uh, 300 He was all on his own, wasn't he? There all was no, on his own. Obviously Michael Murray and he had, his, and he had his team at the finish line he cheering, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, cheering him on. Sat yeah. And Whoa. he crossed the line yeah. and fell into the barriers. Mm. We were we were standing That's a little how bit. Much it took out a shlooging. little bit. We were schlooging with yeah. Pippa York at this point, mm. weren't we? And we saw him come across and Pippa just went, he looks white. Like empty, oh, yeah, so oh, fair. And then he had two team, mm. two, fair two play staff to Fabio and he's got to do it all yeah. again tomorrow. <coughs> yeah, and I just didn't get my point because I think this is Sorry. so interesting. Sorry, David. <laughs> so uh, interesting about tomorrow. No, no, I hadn't. Uh, it was Pogacar the way he rode. You saw what a brilliant road racer he is. The way he, he won that stage. Filled everyone. He did a bluff that only the greatest do. Under those circumstances, he mm -hmm. made the decision not to do any GC moves. He did his tester over the penultimate climb. And I he I was completely bluffed because I now think he, the faces he was pulling and stuff in TV. The whole thing. Well, the whole thing was a bluff on the final climb. Woof. And well, that's a big call. And no, I, I genuinely think because what he did to Vingegaard on that final climb was so lucid and in control. He kind of went mm. off and then he slowed down. And, and he looked, he, even his body language changed. We watched him enough to know. I, and he looked weak and Vingegaard attacked him. Yeah. And then he just went on his wheel. Yeah. And that's, you don't do that on that climb, get by Vingegaard. Yeah, uh, so you, true. You can't do that yeah, unless you're exceptional. In complete control. In complete control. <laughs> so and then true. and then his post-race interview. Are you going to attack? Is there? Can you still win this Tour de France? Can you still win the Tour de France? Does, does this yeah. even go onto his theatrics after the stage when he was lying, lying down? Lying down. I think so. Oh. I think he went and lay down on the floor oh, afterwards. We're getting quite tinfoil yeah. conspiracy. Yeah. Here, yeah. I mean, like, this is yeah. quite deep in, but yeah. Yeah. it's a nice myth. Yeah. But then, but the post-race <laughs> interview. The post-race interview. He yeah. was, but, but he was so cool. Yeah. Looked completely fresh again. Yeah. None of that tiredness he looked like on the climb. He didn't have that weird red eye. No, that he, he did not have. even. 
You know, uh, the left eye no. sometimes gets all red. Yeah, that starts wobbling. Yeah. yeah. And he just <laughs> said, can you still win the Tour de France? And he said, yes. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sets it up for tomorrow, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to win the Tour de France? I wrote in my notebook, and I can verify this with visual evidence. I wrote, Jonas Vingegaard will win. And I wrote that on the, whatever the... July June, the 1st. July the 1st in mm. Copenhagen. Mm. I wrote that down mm. for future reference. So I, th- I say Jonas Vingegaard wins the Tour de France. Yeah. What do you say, Pete? Oh, so much of me wants to say today Bogatia, but going off what I've seen over however many days, I can't disagree with you, Ned. Yeah. And now I do believe Jonas Vingegaard will win the Tour de France. Gaz, what, ask Gaz. Gaz, who's going to win the Tour de France? Um, yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It's probably the right answer. Um, don't be. Cu- don't be. Yeah, don't no, I don't. Say I wouldn't have person. a clue. No, that fair enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tari Pogacar, because I'm a romantic, and I know he'll try, and I'll back the trier. These pods are getting super long because we're so excited. Mm. Sorry about that, people. Okay, bye. 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 Bye.